for those of us who have been journeying with us for the last few weeks, you would know that we are doing a new series called Identity with the emphasis on the middle part, Dent. Because as we live out our lives, whether we're conscious or not, we're always going to live out of and act out of and think out of our core sense of identity. The problem is, both within ourselves and outside of ourselves, we face challenges which dent us and dent our identities. And if we could kind of survey our own inner lives the way God can see our own inner lives, I suspect that most of us, me included, will discover that we live out more of our lives through our old sense of identity, through a broken sense and a dented sense of identity as opposed to the new self that God is forming in us. And today we're going to speak about how words can dent our identity and how much of a role those words have played and still play in our lives. I'm sure as a child, you used to sing the song that I used to sing when someone was bullying you or teasing you, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. Biggest lie in the world, right? There are many ways that we can be hurt and dented in this world. And so let me use the example of our electronic devices. How many of you, I'm not asking you to stick up your hand, how many of you have seen your laptop slide off the table onto the floor? Or how many of you have stood on your tablet or on your laptop? How many of you have dropped your phone while getting out the car and smashing the screen or dropped your phone in the toilets or the bath, right? Now, when that happens, the hardware of our devices is damaged and it is really expensive to to fix up. And some of you know about that. But the hardware is not the only way our devices can get damaged. Sometimes our software gets damaged. Sometimes something corrupted gets onto our phones through a bad update. Sometimes a virus or a Trojan horse makes it onto our computers and wipes out our data. And as much as the computer or the laptop or the phone looks the same, it is deeply and greatly damaged. And in the same way, we can be physically damaged in such a way that people can see it. But oftentimes, and sometimes accompanying even the physical damage, especially in the form of abuse, our software gets damaged. And words come in and dent us and shape us. You see, every single one of us has a script running in the back of our minds. And that script is made up of real words. And whether we're aware of or not, some of the lines of that script were given to us decades ago in some circumstances. And yet that script is still playing through the operating system of our mind forming and deforming our identity. So today is about how do we upgrade our operating system? 
How do we identify those lies and replace them with the wonderful, powerful truth of who we are in Christ? And so I wanna give you an example from the Bible. You know, um, when Israel was first formed, God's plan for Israel was that He would be their king and they had no human king. And that kind of worked for a while until Israel got to a point where they said, but all of our friends have kings. All of the nations around us have kings. We also want a king like them. And God said, are you sure? That wasn't really my plan for you. And they said, yes, we're sure. We want a king. Now think to yourself, especially thousands of years ago, what kind of person would you want as king? Well, in those days, kings weren't simply people who kind of operated this position, but they were often military leaders. They were often mighty warriors. And so in the minds of people in, this, in those days, kings would have had to be big, strong, mighty, powerful, leadership-heavy people. So listen to the description of Israel's first king found in 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 to 2. There was a Benjamite, that's the tribe he came from, a man of standing. Listen to this description, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul. So Saul's father was a man of standing. Saul himself, he was a handsome young man, as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. In other words, man, he was the man's man. He came from the right family. He had the right heritage. He was muscular. He was strong. He was handsome. He was an obvious choice for leadership in the nation of Israel. And he was a total mess. To the point that the scriptures say that God was grieved that he made Saul king. God often spoke to his kings through his prophets. At the time was the prophet Samuel. And so Samuel goes up to Saul to unfortunately inform Saul that God has rejected him as king. And listen to what Samuel says to him. In 1 Samuel 15 verse 17. It's so insightful. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? I mean, the Lord anointed you as king over Israel. What Samuel's trying to say is, man, you were the perfect, kind of the perfect king. You had the right heritage. You were strong. You were anointed. You were appointed, right? And yet somehow there was a script running in the back of Saul's mind that ran how he lived out his identity, a broken identity. Doesn't matter how big he was. Doesn't matter how powerful he was. He was always small in his own eyes. Let's contrast that with the next king. God calls Samuel to go and to go to Jesse's family. And Samuel says to Jesse, won't you bring out all of your sons because the Lord has said one of your sons is going to be king. And so Jesse was thinking like Israel was thinking about Saul and got out the first set of his, of his sons and they were all impressive, mighty warriors. And Samuel starts with the oldest one and he says to himself, surely this is the next king. God says, no. Okay, Next one. 
big and strong and beefy. Surely this is the next king. No. And he goes down the line until there's no one left. Samuel is confused. He says, is there by any chance another son you've forgotten about? And the family says, yeah, it's just David. We didn't even think he should be here today. He's out playing with the sheep. He's like a hippie with his guitar in the fields. He's the one who brings our lunchboxes to the field while we're the manly men of fighting. Well, bring him before us. And as he's standing there, God says, this is my next king. So on one hand, we've got Saul who is physically imposing, a typical A-type leader and yet so small in his own eyes. And here you've got David who was physically small at this stage of his life, who was insignificant when compared to everybody else. And yet just case in point as an illustration of the script that is running through David's mind, there was this Philistine bigger than everybody else. His name was Goliath and no one in Israel dared fight him. David comes along, <laughs> this little guy, and he's like, I'll take him on. Are you sure? There's nobody else who's prepared to do it. No, I'll take him on. Saul says, okay, here, take my armor. David was so small, he couldn't even wear the armor of Saul. He says, listen, I've used this catty to hit targets. I've used this catty to hit bears and lions. I think I'm good with this thing. But do you wanna know where his identity was? He said to Goliath, I come against you in the name of the Lord. Just contrast those two people and the scripts running in the back of their own minds. This idea is very significant to me. I've, I've mentioned this story here at Riverside before. And for those of you who've been on the journey, you've also heard the story a number of times. But there was a time in my early days of, of marriage and even ministry where I realized I was just acting out of and thinking out of and living out of a broken sense of identity and a script that was filled with more lies than truth. And the Lord just was gracious to me to allow the lights to go on and show me that one of the lies that I had believed about myself was exactly this. I was small in my own eyes. Now we're not talking about physical stature. But in my own mind, I was 100% convinced that I, my true self, was insignificant and not worth knowing. And I was convinced that one people got through, once people got through the layers of who I was and the masks that I portrayed and the little good boy that I lived out of, once people, my wife and kids and friends and family and you included, once they saw the real Stephen, they would all say, oh wow, nothing here, let's move on. And the Lord helped me see how so much of that was driving my thought life, my behavior, my decisions. And so the answer wasn't for God just to simply tell me, Stephen, stop it. Just stop thinking like that. The answer was for God to meet me at that point, at the point of the deepest point of my identity 
and these lies that I had begun to believe about myself. And so if we are to begin living out of our new identities, we need to have the courage to face our I am statements. And I'm not talking about when you get up in the morning and you have a shower and you make yourself look good and you see yourself in the mirror and you're like, how are you doing? I'm talking about when you mess up. And something in the back of your mind says, well, of course I would mess up because I am dot, dot, dot. I am pathetic. I am stupid. I am unworthy. I'm talking about those moments where you have a crisis or you experience rejection, either real rejection or perceived rejection, which is a whole nother rabbit hole here. And you say, well, of course he rejected me because I am dot, dot, dot. Of course she rejected me because I am. What are those I am statements for you? For me, it was, I am insignificant and not worth knowing. Each and every single one of us can complete those sentences in different ways. Now, some of these words were planted in us by parents, sometimes by husbands and wives, by teachers, by leaders, people we've trusted, peers at school. And while we're responding by saying sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me, those words got through our firewall into our operating system and started corrupting us. And while those voices may have started with the voice of somebody else, those voices are now running with our own voice. Because we believed those truths as much as we might have hated them and try to reject them, they're in us. And on top of all of this, we have an enemy who is rubbing his hands together and he's loving what he is seeing in our lives. Now, if we are to have the courage to face up to our I am statements, we're gonna find this very difficult for two reasons. The one is, it is murky down there. If the greatest philosopher of the 20th century, Shrek, is right, and if we are like an onion, if we could somehow see the way God sees, we will probably discover that we're only living out of our top two, three layers of who we are. Because once we get down beyond there, it's not concrete. Man, it's murky. It's like being blindfolded and being asked to walk through your kid's bedroom after they've been playing with Lego. Right? It's not easy. It's murky. That's the first reason. The second reason is it's scary down there. It is really scary to face up to who at a very deep level you fundamentally have come to believe you are. And in many of our cases, including my case, the me that I've come to hate. And that's not fun. So let's go back up to layer one and layer two where we can pretend that everything is okay. It's murky down there and it's scary 
Now, some of you, especially if you were here last week, you may respond by saying, but Stephen, this sounds like introspection. This sounds like navel-gazing. Last week, you said our identity is not to be found inside of ourselves, but in who God says we are, who we are in Christ. And that is 100% true. But here's why this is so important. Some of us, unfortunately, have had the, the misfortune of either experiencing cancer in our own lives or in someone we love. And if that is something that is in our lives and in our bodies, it is not okay to pretend that it's not there. You cannot suddenly start eating well and going to gym and hoping that that's enough. What we need to unfortunately do is identify it. How big is it? Where is it? What damage has it caused our system? And then we need to cut it out and get it out. And we need to do the same with these lies, these viruses in our operating system. We need to identify them, the damage they've caused and cut them out. So that's step one. Step two is going to be this. If we are to begin living out our new identities, the first one was we need to have the courage to face our I am statements. The second step is we need to have the conviction to replace our I am statements. In other words, who does God say you are? You know, this is where the world has kind of got things half right. The world has recognized exactly this problem, that we're operating from lies and brokenness. We're not living out our true identities. And so the world has come up with some fairly good ideas and some really bad pop psychology where you look at yourself in the mirror and you tell yourself how awesome you are every single day. The problem with that is, is like me going to myself for medical attention. So this is where we do look outside of ourselves. And we go to our perfect father. We go to our creator. We go to the one who knows us better than anyone else will ever know us and loves us with a greater love than anybody else would ever love us. And we say, who do you say I am? You've heard a number of verses over the course of this series and I'm gonna read some of them out. And I'm also gonna pray that maybe the Lord brings some of these verses and just pierces your heart with these verses, speaking his identity into your lives. But listen to these truths, these wonderful truths. Number one, I am a child of God. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. John 15, 15, I am a friend of God. What? That sounds sacrilegious. Isn't he high? Isn't he mighty? Isn't he holy and majestic? Yes, he is. And that God calls you friend in Christ. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. I am forgiven. 
1 John 1 verses 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, every time your sin comes up and reminds you how filthy and disgusting you are and reminds you of your past, you get to say, that is not who I am. I am forgiven. Ephesians 3.17, I am rooted and established in love. And Paul prays, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Notice Paul doesn't say, I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. He assumes that you are rooted and established in love. You're just not aware of it. But that is who I am. Luke 15, I am accepted. This comes from the prodigal son. After he sinned against God, sinned against his father, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Isn't that how often we feel with the broken script going through the backgrounds of our mind? But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Why? Because this is my son who was lost and now is found. And finally, this is probably the most scandalous sounding one of them all. I am a co-heir with Christ, meaning what Christ inherits, I inherit with him, not based on my merit, but based on his merit. Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, then the logical inference is, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And we could carry on going, but there's just something to get you going. We want to find out what the Father says about us. So our starting point is going to be His Word, His reliable and trustworthy Word. But here's another question I want to ask of you to think about. And the question is this, what does God's Spirit whisper to you about your identity? You see, God's Spirit speaks first and foremost through Scripture he is the one who gave us the Scriptures. But we also see in Scripture that there are other ways the Spirit speaks. And so I'm asking you, has God been whispering something into your heart that is really for you? And so I know many of you have heard the story before, but it's the only story I've got. So this is the one for today. But... Uh, Many of you know as Riverside, the theme for our church, and you can see it on the picture next to the word Riverside, that the theme for our church is that we are an oak tree. That we are a tree with our roots deep into God's word and deep into God's spirit. And we really trust that God is gonna grow us to, into that tree. Anyway, I, I was just in one of these moments where God was meeting me and someone came up to me and said, Stephen, you know, I feel like I've got something for you from God. And this is what we call the gift of prophecy. And he says, Stephen, I feel like God is wanting to make you into an oak tree. I said, you know, that's amazing. Because I feel like that is God's word for us as a church. And he followed up by saying, well, Stephen, that makes so much sense. Because God wants to make you into an oak tree so you can make Riverside into an oak tree. 
And I knew in that moment that, you know, I've had people share stuff like this before and it hasn't always made sense. And this wasn't the first time God had said this to me. And I knew that this had His voice all over it. Number of months later, I was just praying through what God had been saying to me. And I probably had the closest thing to a vision I've ever had in my life. Where I'm praying and then suddenly it's like a film went on in, the, in my mind. And it was me kind of flying up one of these huge, huge, huge trees. It was an everlasting tree. And I was going like hundreds of kilometers up the side of this tree. And all of a sudden, it's like the, the movie slowed down until I wasn't moving anymore. And then next minute, I was inside of the tree. And I saw this look on my own face. And it was a look of pure joy and pure peace. I was, Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? And he said, Stephen, you know, you really strive to understand me. That is me going up this tree. With your mind, you're trying to know me. You're trying to understand me and my ways. But if you really want to know me, understanding me is one thing, but the better thing is for you to be in me. Because when you're in me, and this is, by the way, what you spoke about last week. If you're in me, you will know me in a way more intimate way, in a way that your mind will never be able to perceive on its own. And if you are in me, I am the tree of life. That is how you will become the tree that I'm making you to be. And in me, there's peace. And in me, there is joy. And so I'm wondering in your life, if you can think back to a time where God breathed something like that into your life. Maybe it wasn't as clear. Maybe it is a verse of scripture. And as I said earlier, I mean, even this idea of being a tree, it is saturated with, the, with concepts from scripture. But maybe God just took one verse and to everybody else, they're like, yeah, whatever, that's a cool verse. But to you, God planted it deep inside your spirit. Or maybe it's something that somebody shared with you. But has God's spirit been whispering something to you? I want to ask you to take hold of that. Together with what God's word clearly says about who you are who the Father says you are. So I want to speak about some reasons why maybe you've been sitting in church at, for at times decades. You've heard these verses before. You've said to yourself before, wow, God, I really need this. I don't know if these verses have gotten past my intellect. I don't know if these verses have shaped my heart and my identity yet. You went home, you woke up the next morning and you felt exactly the same and something in you said, this doesn't work. I want to give you three reasons as to why maybe it hasn't worked in the past. And the first one is that you've applied the truth superficially. We've spoken about operating systems and viruses. We've spoken about cancer. I want to use another analogy here. I want you to imagine that you've been shot and the bullet is lodged inside of you. And for whatever reason, the doctor doesn't take it out. And so you begin to heal and everything feels okay until all you've got is a tiny little scar on the surface of your skin. 
and then you trip or fall or you go and play rugby or do something stupid like that and the bullet moves around inside of you. Next minute, your lungs are filling up with fluid or you get an infection. And so what you decide to do, you go to the pharmacy and you get some antiseptic cream and you rub it on top of your skin. Right idea, wrong application. If the infection is deep inside of you, you need to take the solution and place it where the wound is. That is why step one is so important. So that God's word and God's truth can come to you. And when you feel most vulnerable and least worthy and most exposed, God's truth and God's purity and God's healing meets you there. Line for line, lie for truth. That's one reason. And another reason why I believe that we sometimes give up on allowing God's word to shape our identities is because we didn't feel it. We went home, we went to work the next day and nothing felt any different. Listen to me. How many times has that script played in the background of your mind consciously and unconsciously? I guarantee you, tens if not hundreds of thousands of times. That lie has been reinforcing a false identity. I read in a Christian parenting book that when we rebuke our children, even if it's done in the best way, for the right reasons, they need 10 actions of love and 10 words of affirmation for every single rebuke. How much more do we need to hear the truth of who we are in Christ for every time we believe that lie about ourselves? I believe this is one of the many reasons, one of the many reasons when Jesus says, let me teach you how to pray. He says, when you pray, pray like this. What are the first two words? Our Father. There's so much in those two words. But before I ask Jesus for stuff, before I ask him and pray to him about my bank accounts, before I ask him for healing, he wants us to start off with his perspective that is shaped by those two words, our Father. Craig preached to us about Romans 8 the other day. This is not just, you know, lords and ladies, our Father. No, this is my dad. That every time you pray, not just every day, every time you pray, you are reminding yourself of who God is as your loving dad and who you are in him. I'll tell you what I do. When I pray, I start off with those two words, my father. And I just allow concepts and verses to come to mind and I just reflect them back to him. Lord, you're a perfect father. Luke 11, if I who am evil know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will my loving father give me good things and give me his spirits? You're my dad. I get to bypass throne rooms 
I get to run into your arms and sit on your lap. And I get to have the Lion of Judah throw his arms around me and call me son. Lord, I am rooted and established in love. Father, you are the tree of life and I wanna be in you and be formed by you every time we pray. I know this sounds strange, but we see this in the scriptures. I wanna give you two examples. Psalm 42 verses five, David's saying, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He's praying, but speaking to himself at the same time in the presence of God. He is preaching to his own heart. This isn't about positivists, kind of self, whatever, building oneself up. This is about replacing lies with truth. In the presence of God's spirits, says to himself, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Lamentations 3 verses 19 to 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion and therefore I will wait for him. If we are to replace those I am statements once we've had the courage to face them, we need to pray them into our hearts, reflect them to our loving Father every time we pray. And then of course, there's God's mysterious ways and timings. You know, sometimes the best thing I can do for my body is eat well, do some exercise and trust the process. There are other times where the best thing I can do for my body is go to the emergency ward and get antibiotics via IV. And God, our perfect healer, knows the same with us. And for many of us and, and for much of my Christian life, it really has been this, that His mercy is on you every morning. That His grace, I use the term, is drip feeding into me. And it doesn't always feel like a miracle. It doesn't always feel like a testimony, but it is Him. And then there are those moments, either in our own lives or other people's lives, we celebrate God for them, where He puts us into ICU and He overwhelms us with grace and love and power. Both are Him. Both are His grace and Him reshaping us. And we need to trust God's mysterious ways and mysterious timing. So as we wrap up today, <laughs> this feels so weird to kind of do this thing in the form of a sermon. When what I know, because I've had to live it out and still try and live it out, what I know I need, what I know your need is not to say, that was a great sermon, praise the Lord, amen. We need to start taking steps of faith to put this into practice, which is not easy. 
So first step, are you gonna have the courage to face your I am statements? To face the worst form of yourself that you've come to believe you are. And then are you gonna have the conviction to replace those I am statements with truth? So pray with me. Father, you are our good Father. We don't always understand your ways and we don't always understand why we're sometimes in the same place year after year after year. But Father, I pray that we're sitting here with new faith, meaning new trust in you. New trust in how you as our perfect Father does love me and does care about my inner world and truly does want to see me transformed from the inside out. So Holy Spirit, I ask for a clarity that only you can give. As David prays, search my heart, O God. Give us the courage to face those viruses in our souls. Some of us have even chosen to wear those lies like a badge, believing that I will never change, that this is who I am. What are those lies? What are those cancer spots? Holy Spirit, help us. Father God, this isn't to condemn us or to make us feel anything less than who you've made us to be. This is a moment of truth, a moment of courage. So God, as much as we've had the courage to face up to those lies, I pray for the conviction about who you say we are truly. Holy Spirit, breathe upon some of those biblical truths Every person here in this room needs to hear something straight from your heart to this. From your word made alive in their own hearts. As a verse, an idea, a sermon, a truth, a picture comes to them from the throne of heaven. Son, daughter, you may have believed this about you, but here's what is true about you. And by faith, as much as we feel so insecure right now and so vulnerable and so unworthy, by faith, we choose to trust you, our loving Father. We put our trust in you. Church, please, Whatever God is doing in your heart right now doesn't end when I say amen in a few seconds time. This is a lifestyle. This is probably one of the most powerful ways that we are transformed into who God made you to be 
and the you He wants to free and the you He wants to release and the you He wants to bless the world with, the you created by God in true holiness and righteousness. Maybe some of you want to set up a a coffee date with someone, someone you trust, someone you can talk this out with, someone with whom you can say, here is what God showed me about the lies in my heart and here is what God is revealing about who He says I am. Pray with me. Keep me accountable. That in two weeks' time, in three weeks' time, in four weeks' time, I am fighting lie with truth, lie with truth until my heart believes it. Someone is gonna pray with you and for you. I've just had a real sense that God has been working in us, in, in all of us this morning. Right from the, the time we came in and worshipped. And he's been highlighting things to many of you. This is a time that he wants to do business with you, to do some work with you and in you. And I don't want to miss this opportunity for us, together and individually. So just, would, would you please just close your eyes? Think about that thing that the Lord has put his finger on in your life, in your heart, in your identity that needs to be changed because he's doing a work this morning by his spirit. So Holy Spirit, will you come over this place into the heart of each person in those places that are dented, that are broken, doing those things that we cannot do. We submit ourselves before you so that you, by your Spirit, can work in us. Let's speak against any fear of engaging in that place. In Jesus' name, be broken. we can walk in your freedom, in your life, by your Spirit. Let your power come into this place in a, in a way that transforms each life and our life together as your people, our Father. And we can truly say that together and individually. More of your Holy Spirit, more of your Holy Spirit power in this place, in each life, bringing transformation, bringing newness of identity, new life. Just proclaim freedom over you this morning, the freedom that comes with being known as a son or daughter of the living God and what that really means, seeing him for who he is and who you are in him, in Jesus' name. Yes.